This past week, a comment about women deacons came up at the end of a four-day meeting that gathered 300 Catholic experts in Germany. Where do we see the ordination of women in scripture or tradition? Because that's where we get the magisterium, the teachings of the church. Not from someone's opinions of what would make the church more credible. Let's consider for a moment that the idea that God is male, or rather that there is something intrinsically male about God, is not an idea that is a result of the sexist, patriarchal, social, and cultural Jewish thought of the Bible writers. Let's consider that there is some truth to that. Why? Well, because it's all over Scripture, and we believe that Scripture is the Word of God. And if so, let's ask why. Why is it important that we call God Father, that He is male? Is it important? Maybe. Maybe it's not an accident. Maybe it's not a coincidence. It is the Father that sows the seed. The mother receives the seed, but it's the Father that plants the seed. In that sense, God is not mother, never. God is very much a father, a male. It's the church that is female, and the priesthood is male because it is a sign. Remember sacraments being visible signs of an invisible reality? Priesthood is a sign of that maleness of God. Christ is the husband of his bride, the church. It's not that men are better or that the church is sexist or even that Jesus chose male apostles. It's that ordination is about being an image of God, just as marriage is about being an image of God. And the diaconate is one of three holy orders. If the priesthood is male, the diaconate has to be male too. Now, I really struggle with this because I don't totally get it. But I think it's my responsibility as a Catholic, especially as an ordained Catholic, that when I come across a church teaching that I don't understand, to continue learning, to continue reading, continue praying until I understand it. Because who am I to question 2,000 years of wise and holy men and women who, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, have shaped the magisterium of the church? Am I smarter than all of them? I don't think so. The church does not have the authority to ordain women priests any more than the church has the authority to define marriage. And as long as a church does not have the authority to ordain women priests, she does not have the authority to ordain women deacons either. More on this later, I'm sure. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And as always, we have a great show for you today. I'm hoping that a lot of you are going to write in with your comments about what I just spoke about. We have our usual segments, our diocesan update and our saint of the week. And Danny Torquia will be here with Media Ministry Minutes. Some advice for you when it comes to doing public relations for the church. That's all coming shortly. And in our second half hour, as we approach the Sanctity of Life Week in Canada with the March for Life taking place on May 9th, we will learn about Project Rachel, a wonderful ministry for women and men who have had abortion experiences. And once again, we have a chance to meet a spirit and song artist. Curtis Stephen is the writer and composer of many of the songs that you probably sing at church. And so we're very excited to be speaking with him today. And as always, we begin with one of his songs. So here is Curtis Stephen with Ready the Way from his new album, Amid Passing Things. Ready the way, ready the way, 
Curtis Stephen with Ready the Way from his album Amid Passing Things, published by Spirit and Song. Curtis will be with us in the second half of the program and in about 15 minutes, Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. But first, Chris is here with our news. Pedro, today we'll discuss Pope Francis's meeting with the President of Israel and what this might mean for the peace process. Right. A German bishop suggests a new role for women. And Toronto's Cardinal weighs in on plans to build a casino in his city. Take your bets on what he thinks about that. But let's start with the Pope. He met with Shimon Perez on Tuesday. Perez is the President of Israel. It was a private meeting in the Vatican. But we're told that they spoke about various issues, particularly the political situation in the Middle East. The Holy See issued a statement after the meeting. It says that both the Pope and the President hope for the speedy resumption of negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians. The goal is an agreement that the legitimate aspirations of the two people might be respected, Israelis and Palestinians. Both sides expressed concern for the situation in Syria, which shares a border with Israel. The statement also noted that progress has been made towards a diplomatic agreement between Israel and the Holy See. Since the 1990s, they've been trying to iron out an agreement regarding property claims and taxation of holy sites. And Perez said after the meeting that, I'm expecting you in Jerusalem, not just me, but all the people of Israel. So that was an invitation for Pope Francis to visit the Holy Land. Nice. Now to Germany. You mentioned earlier, Pedro, an archbishop is talking about women's deacons. Archbishop Robert Zolich is the head of that country's bishops' conference. He says that the topic of opening up the diaconate to women is no longer taboo. In the comments as published on a German news site, it seems he stopped short of endorsing the plan. Note that he's also not discussing women priests. Deacons, as you know, Pedro, being a deacon yourself, 
can assist during church services and perform baptisms and marriages outside of Mass, as well as serve the needs of the community, he made the comments at the end of a four-day meeting to discuss possible reforms in the church. Finally, to Toronto, will the city roll the dice on a casino? It's a controversial issue in Canada's biggest city. Currently, the nearest casinos are hours away. And the mayor, Rob Ford, says that it would provide much-needed revenue to have a casino right in the city. Well, what does the church think? The Cardinal Archbishop Thomas Collins issued a pastoral letter. He begins by noting how, quote, In my years of pastoral ministry as priest and bishop, I have become sadly aware of the grievous suffering experienced by individuals and families because of gambling dependence. The Cardinal acknowledges the short-term benefits of tax revenue and employment, but he says that the long-term benefits aren't so clear and the negative social impact would outweigh those possible benefits. And he's particularly concerned about harm to marriages and families that could be hurt or destroyed by addicts having close access to gambling. He says that gambling is based inherently on illusion. It's a fantasy that seems particularly attractive to those who are most vulnerable and desperate who are looking for a quick solution to their money problems. The Cardinal says that it's a cruel illusion and that it's not wholesome for governments to promote it. So the debate continues on whether or not to have a casino in Toronto, but the church has weighed in. Absolutely. I wonder what that has to say about parish bingos i don't know if we have that that's not very common here in canada is it no it's not and i know that uh that some groups uh, particularly uh in alberta have moved away from bingos and having casino nights uh to fundraise, to fundraise catholic schools parish, yeah. so it seems that the whole church is moving away from yeah this. no i'm sure we'll hear more about this story thank you chris chris dimitrenko our salt and light news producer if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program we love to hear from you. Send us your comments via Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. Hi, I'm Sheridan, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is Sheridan with news about an art exhibit. And now... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew. Last week I told you that I had the best bumper music for yeah, segments you do. on the. You do but you know what? Good. I listened to Mark's segment. You the showed Hollywood, me it. Hollywood undercover. Missionary. Hollywood undercover. Missionary. His music is pretty good yeah, too. It's very good. So maybe we can have like a like a like the battle of the theme song. The songs. battle of the theme songs. Anyways, I have more important things to talk about today. A because, saint, maybe. Yeah, we have a saint. We have a saint. Actually, we have a blessed this week. A bl- blessed, you know, they're, they're already in heaven. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so have you ever heard of Blessed Marie Leone Paradis? No, I have not heard about Blessed okay. Marie. Beautiful Leone. woman from Quebec. She was born on May the twelfth at Lacadie, Quebec, which is a village near Montreal. Uh-huh. Uh, her parents had six children, two of whom died when they were really small. Um, Marie Leonie was the third child and the only daughter. She had three brothers: Joseph Edouard, Emilien, and Vital. At a very early age, she had a great desire for God and an attraction to the religious life. Um, in 1854, when she was 14, she joined the Marianites of the Holy Cross, where she wished to devote herself to the service of priests. At the novitiate, she received the name of Sister Marie de Saint-Léonie, and after her profession, she was sent out to teach. One of those sisters who was sent out to teach. Mm-hmm. She was sent to New Brunswick as superior of the sisters and to maintain the domestic 
um, leadership and management at St. Joseph's College, which was directed by a Holy Cross father. When she arrived, many young Acadians presented themselves to become religious. Many of them were poor, and most of them did not speak English. Um, and Sister Marie de Saint-Léonie had to send them to Indiana to make their novitiate because of the language barrier. She asked to open a Francophone novitiate in Acadia, but this request was refused. Um, numerous Acadians wished to commit themselves to God, and after a short time of formation, were sent to serve in houses of education. For our listeners, um, when we hear Acadia, that is also commonly known as present-day New Brunswick. New Brunswick is a uh, yeah, New, bilingual Yeah, yeah, New Brunswick province. is a province. Acadia, but there are Acadians in Nova Scotia. I mean, that's the true. Acadians, they're all over. There's a big and, presence in the East. And they were expulsed from Nova Scotia because that's they were right. Catholic, and they ended up in Louisiana. And the people in Louisiana, they mm-hmm. call Cajuns. Exactly. Are the same people, the Acadians. That's why there's yeah. that French. So there you go, yeah, a little the bit of little, history. The Institute of the Little Sisters of the Holy Family um, ended up being recognized uh, at the end of May in 1880. Interestingly enough, because the Bishop of St. John, New Brunswick, did not accept them as a new religious community in his diocese uh, for fear of having to support the sisters, uh, Bishop Paul Larocque of Sherbrooke in Quebec welcomed them warmly in his diocese, and that was in 1895. Still a religious of Holy Cross, Mother Marie-Leonie, because she was the superior, was strongly advised to become a little sister of the Holy Family. In 1905, she asked Rome, uh, she petitioned Rome, to be released from her commitment toward her original community. Mother Marie-Leonie worked and remained foundress and superior general of her community until the last few hours of her life. She was very dedicated. She was always known to be frail, and she was always sick, but she never stopped caring for her sisters and for God's people. She put the last corrections on the pages of the book of rules that she had written. She, She had it sent to the print shop. That book would give her sisters the guidance they would need for their life for the rest of their life in, in the religious community. Friday, May the 3rd, Mother Marilioni said she felt very tired. She went to rest and she ended up dying a few hours later. She was just a few days shy of her 72nd birthday. Um, in 1984, at the time of his visit to Canada, that was the papal visit year, Pope John Paul II beatified Mother Marilioni Paradis in Montreal. Uh, in 2012, to commem- which was just last year, to com- commemorate the centenary of her death, there was an artist named Marius Dubois, and he was from the Royal Academy of Canada. And he commissioned a painting of Blessed Marie-Leonie in an attitude of service. Um, and it was made to look like um, Christ, who is priest and mm-hmm. king. Very nice painting. So um, we remember Blessed Marie-Leonie Paradis, who celebrates her... Um, her feast day, I guess, today, which is Saturday, May the 3rd. Thank you very much. Uh, a new saint, I guess, for us, a blessed Marie Leonie Paradis. Thank you. Feast day, May 3rd. Yep. Another beautiful Canadian saint. Thank you. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, I'm Pasquale Salarico, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. That's the number one. Visit us and like our page for a chance to win cool music prizes from all our featured artists. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Deacon Petro. Happy to be with you. So, so I had this experience recently. I, I actually found myself emailing 
the sports uh, editor of, of my local newspaper to tell them about my son's volleyball team, which is from our community that just won gold at the provincial championships. And, and it occurred to me that isn't this something that we should be doing all the time, telling our newspapers and our radio programs that we listen to, I don't know about TV, if, we, if TV does that, about giving them story ideas or giving them, um, letting them know what's happening in our parish? I, what, what, do you, what do you suggest about that? Well, yeah, I, I guess what we're looking at is this need for our, our church communities and groups to build those bridges with, with meaningful two-way um, transits or two-way communications with the secular media and not to grow in, in silos. So in, indeed, all of us stand to, gr- to gain greatly if we build those bridges just by connecting, sharing feedback. Uh, in, in PR, in the agency world, we sometimes call that spokesperson interjection, uh-huh. which is basically letting the journalist or the editor know that you or the organization can be called upon to have a respectful, open, and uh, objective conversation, and, and everyone stands to gain from that. Yeah, for I mean, sure. I know even for this program, I love it when people send me emails, um, and here, there's, this is something that's happening, or here's a book, would you like to interview the author? Or, or especially with the artists, here's, here's so-and-so has a new album, do you want to interview And I love that because it's less work for me. I don't have to go looking for them. Well, yeah. Um, now, th- I guess it's kind of related. We all have radio programs that we listen to, or I guess your favorite newspaper that you, that you read, or your, your favorite newspaper columnist. Is it, is it uh, okay for us to, you know, like to be that one person that always responds to that program? If I listen to a radio program every morning, and every time they, they, they have something about abortion, I write to them and I say, thank you for not being afraid of covering the issue. And if Absolutely. there's something that I think they need to correct, I might give them the correction. Well, you mentioned something here about positive reinforcement. Ideally, you're uh, recognizing good journalism that, that touches uh, topics that, meet, uh, that are important to you, so positive recognition is great. If not, yes, uh, divvying up um, you know, um, the, uh, uh, your group, your church group, your uh, local community group by interest or by the media that they normally consume is a great idea. And all of this leads to reminding Catholics and Christians that we need media ministry, ministers, media evangelists that, that would actually say that. So in the old days, you'd say, well, hey, give me some flyers or give me a box. I'm going to go collect uh, yeah. food staples and food items, which is still important. But now we need to think like you're saying, hey, I, I watch this show on CBC or National Radio or NPR News. Why don't I build dialogue with them? And that's a new mindset for us. And you and I are talking about emails and journalists in the traditional uh, realm, but there's also social media, mm-hmm. you know, t- connecting through Twitter or, or different uh, Instagrams or whatever other uh, social media platforms exist. That's another aspect to build the dialogue uh, from the church to the secular media. Okay, so maybe just in closing uh, with, with a really concrete, because, uh, a concrete example, because the March for Life in Ottawa is next week, May 9th. Yes. Um, should we, and it's, it's traditionally ignored by the media. So what can we str- strategically do as, as, as church to contact our own local newspapers or, or local programs that we watch or listen to to encourage them to pay attention to this event that's taking place in Ottawa? Well, the, the first thing is that uh, surfing online, you can find some great resources like campaignlifecoalition.com has wonderful resources like letters to the editors, 
templates to inform your local member of parliament. But I think that by finding those resources and also imbuing it or, or adding it to it, your own personal dimension, mm-hmm. um, sending the, uh, participating in letters to the editor or uh, suggesting an opinion piece for your local we- uh, community paper, and doing so with some of the facts that support uh, this in terms of the numbers of people attending, the growth mm-hmm. year over year. Uh, and there's no shortage of pictures online. There's no shortage of people, young and old, who can add um, testimonials. And and maybe that maybe you can say, hey, we're leaving at nine o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, and we're going to take a picture and send it to you. So we can we can do that even real time by sharing a picture with a journalist through Twitter when we're in Ottawa or on a bus. And maybe they won't cover it this year, and we can't just get frustrated. But we have to persevere, knowing that over time, as more people do this, uh, that it will affect change and have the hope that it will. Okay. Um, that's all the time we have, but I think this is good advice, and, and I'm sure we're going to come back to this. So the, the advice here is that pick the one program that you like, the one newspaper like that you like, or the, the one columnist that you like, or, or the one radio host that you like, and that's your, that's your ministry. Work on them, respond to them, email them, let them know you by name, and eventually it'll, it'll reap, we'll reap some, some fruit. Yes? You bet. Yeah, all of these uh, activities definitely will yield fruit. Thank you very much, Danny Torquia. Thanks, Deacon Pedro, and everybody. Danny Torquia is our public relations expert, and he's the managing director of Torquia Communications. Hi, I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can download our podcast for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. And now here's Sheridan with our diocesan update. Pedro, you know how people are always saying this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? And it never really is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Okay, I was trying to think of when was the last time that somebody actually said that to me, but yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to say it right now. There is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who hasn't checked out the Art Gallery of Ontario lately. Let me recommend an exhibit for you. It is amazing. The Art Gallery of Ontario has partnered with the Getty to put on an amazing exhibit of early Florentine artists. And the reason this is important is because a lot of these artists set the stage for painters like Michelangelo. And uh, many of these works have never traveled before and won't travel again. So I decided to speak with Sasha Suda, the assistant curator of European art for the Art Gallery of Ontario to find out more. Sasha, this is an extraordinary exhibition, 90 works from all over the world. How did this all come about? That's a great question. Thank you for having me. This exhibition came about when a curator who was working on manuscripts painted by the artist Pacino de Bonaguida, a not well-known artist working in Florence between 1300 and 1350, decided that it would be interesting to explore that artist's work more in depth and maybe even do an exhibition on that artist. Uh, That was 10 years ago. Time passed, that curator no longer is working on the show, but his idea became the seed that was planted and grew into an exhibition, not just about that artist, but about all of the artists Mm -hmm. working in Florence between 1300 and 1350. Okay, so share with us some of the highlights from this exhibition. Well, there are several highlights. Of course, number one on the list is uh, paintings by the artist Giotto de Bondone, well known as the very first Renaissance man 
not only did he work as a painter, and we have several painted panel paintings by him, but he also worked as an architect, having designed the bell tower, the Campanile, which is next to the cathedral in Florence. And we have two sculptures that he commissioned as designer of the Campanile in the show as well, so that's definitely a highlight. And finally, well, not finally, uh, if we have to sort of sum the highlights up quickly, <laughs> there are also three fantastic loans from the Vatican, including a manuscript by an anonymous artist called the Codex of St. George. Which is which, stunning. Which is absolutely stunning, uh, which is coming to Toronto. It didn't go to L.A., and it likely won't travel again in our lifetime so that we can see it. That's amazing. What has been the response so far? So far, it's been absolutely overwhelming. We had incredible turnout for the press preview, which was over a month ago now, which is hard to believe. And since then, the attendance has been very steady. It's hard to not to go into the galleries and be surrounded by lots of people, which is, of course, exciting to me. But I always recommend uh, for those coming to maybe try earlier in the morning uh, when the crowds aren't quite as big. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Sasha. Thank you very much for having me. I was speaking with Sasha Suda, the Assistant Curator of European Art for the Art Gallery of Ontario. To get your ticket, visit their once-in-a-lifetime exhibit at www.ago.net. Very good. Thank you, Sheridan. Remember, if you'd like to let us know what's happening in your diocese, send us a comment via Facebook. And don't go anywhere, because coming up in our second half hour, Project Rachel and a featured chat with Curtis Stevens. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. When it comes to pro-life work, there are so many initiatives and opportunities. I mean, really, there is so much work to be done. So often, however, we focus on trying to prevent the abortions that we forget about the many women and men who've been involved in abortions in the past. Project Rachel is a ministry that provides post-abortion help to those who are still hurting as a result of a past abortion experience. And to tell us more about it, we are now joined by Maria Karajovanova and Mary Morocco, who run a Project Rachel program at the St. Mary of Egypt Refuge here in Ontario. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Maria, let me start with, start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about Project Rachel, how it came to be? Um. Mary heard about a project, Rachel, uh, uh, about a woman called Vicky, uh, who started uh, a ministry or started focusing on women and men, mm-hmm. or especially women who have gone through the experience of abortion. And because uh, we belong to communities, we are aware that uh, there are women around us who are hurting from uh, the consequences of this uh, uh experience Mm -hmm. and so we thought um, we have in St. Mary of Egypt Refuge the perfect place to invite women and men who need to start the journey toward healing after abortion Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's how it started and then the rest is hard work and dedication and uh, all that. Mm -hmm. So Mary you are the you run the St. Mary of Egypt Refuge. Can you tell us a little bit more about about that place and what other programs you offer? 
Yes, it's a, a place of healing, really, for people in need of healing, whether it be uh, in their families or in themselves, financially, economically, um, just through disconnection with nature or with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a big, beautiful acreage north of Belleville, so between Toronto and Ottawa. Uh-huh. And uh, in the first place, we don't exactly offer programs so much as uh, a place and a community and a way of being that in itself is healing. But we do have some programs. We have a program for youth. We have programs for families. Uh, we have um, various programs that we offer throughout the year, and of course, we sponsor Project Rachel as well. Why is it called Saint Mary of Egypt? Who was Mary of Egypt? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> she was a she was a person who lived maybe in the sixth century, and uh, as a young woman, she, according to her own story, uh, broke away from her family and from. Uh, from a way of life that was good, and she um, pursued a life that led her away from love and from other people. Mm-hmm. And she found herself quite isolated and alone. She had a moment of reconciliation between herself and God and a desire to come back to life. And uh, she really spent the le- rest of her life kind of healing from her addictions and healing from the isolation that she had been drawn into. Right. And, um, and in the end, she kind of a priest came and, and met her, and he, she, in a, little, a way, she kind of taught the priest what holiness was and what it means hmm. to be healed. And so, because she's the outcast woman who who reminds us what the church is for, and that's mm-hmm. why she gave the place her name. Right. And well, I guess while I'm asking about names, do, do you mm-hmm. either of you know why the project Rachel is named after Rachel? Mm-hmm. It's it's a reference from the Old Testament of Rachel mourning for her children right. that are lost. Uh huh. Okay. Now, Maria, um, we don't normally hear about post-abortion issues. Women aren't out there talking about this. Um, What are some of the effects of abortion? On uh, women? Uh, Well, I am part of a community of women and men, and so I know some uh, women who have have had abortion, and and they say that... uh, they just go on with life and in some way they can manage but i also know women who for whom that was not the case mm-hmm. uh who somehow felt that because of that uh, decision that they made in the past uh somehow they have been uh, limited in living fully after the that experience and many of them engaged in many good things family started families had other children but some felt that uh, something stopped in them or was disabled in them mm-hmm. after the decision they made. And uh, because it is uh, still a secret in a, a great degree, uh, they carried it on their own. And right. uh, when we carry secrets, then uh, that secret takes so much space up in our hearts, in our souls, in our mind, mm-hmm. that that part is disabled to go on and live fully and be and be and give and receive in that part. So, so yeah, yeah. These are some uh, some of the effects. Uh, these are some of the consequences. Yes. Yeah. Now, Mary, um, mm-hmm. what is the current state of abortion in Canada? Can you comment on that? Yes. Well, we we're not told anymore the number of abortions in Canada, and um, but the last statistic that was available, which is a few years ago, certainly suggests that tens of thousands per year. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, there's um, the general statistic we were talking about before that perhaps something like four in ten people 
or have been in some way involved or, or connected with someone who's had an abortion, at least. Okay, so yeah, I have heard of, uh, of that statistic. And okay, so can I just ask this question mm -hmm. then? I'm a deacon. I'm, I'm in front of a parish congregation every mm -hmm. Sunday. Can I assume that four out of ten people that are sitting in the pews have been involved somehow in an abortion? I, I think you would be well advised to remember that surely someone in your congregation listening is hearing that personally and is hearing what you say from the point of view of, I have had that experience, I have had an abortion, and they might also be feeling, and I've suffered about that and I don't know what to do with it. Right. And I, I, I actually really encourage clergy to, to recall that when they're speaking, and I know um, they want to speak well and they want to speak healingly for people, but to... It's, it's really helpful to know. I know I speak differently now because I know that women are hearing, women and men are hearing with those ears. Yes. I have suffered through this and I don't know what to do with yeah, it. Yeah, and some, sometimes, you know, even with, with intentions, especially next week, you know, March for Life, and everybody's going to be praying for the end of abortion, and, and, but nobody's mm -hmm. praying for the people who've suffered abortion or who've had abortions. Um, so if, if I have a friend or a family member who, who is suffering because of a past abortion, what do I do? What do I tell them? The word, of course, is compassion, and the word is not judgment. Mm -hmm. so a, a primary thing for us at Project Rachel is, is that is we we're not judging people. You know, we nobody, no one of us has the right to judge one another, and we stand together before God as people who have tried to love and have failed. And so, our our first word is is compassion for mm -hmm. someone who has. Uh, suffered in that way, who has um, lost a child or lost children, is feeling, as Maria said, might be feeling isolated and alone, that they're carrying a secret, they're carrying something they don't know what to do with. Um, and to approach a person in that way is, in a way, the only way you can listen. Right. Pope John Paul II's encyclical, Evangelium Vitae, number 99, he addresses directly women who have had abortions. And if you don't mind my saying so, Pedro, sometimes people who have questions about Project Rachel are Catholics who aren't sure that forgiveness is the right thing there. Sure. So, um, and maybe just in closing, Maria, uh, mm -hmm. I know that there's you run two Project Rachel retreats uh, a year. There's one coming up May 17th, and then the next one will be in October. So if any of our listeners are in the Ontario area, and they can get to just north of Belleville, that this might be a good good thing for them. Can you maybe give them a little bit of information as to what what takes place during the retreat? Mm -hmm. the, retre the two retreats are weekend retreats. So we gather on Friday, and our first gathering is around a meal. And after the meal, because we need to become a community, and mm. you know there are there is a way to become a community, and certainly to have a meal together right. is a very good way. And after that, the first step, the first first step that we do is we root our, our, ourselves, all of us. We have a team of people and then the participants are here and the, the team as well as the participants, we all root ourselves in the mercy of God because we know as Mary said, we all need that mercy mm -hmm. and none of us can be in a judgment seat. And so when we know that, that we are rooted in the mercy and the, uh, the love of God, we can start this very hard journey. And the team members are here throughout the weekend to support the women and the men who are undertaking an enormous journey. The longer they carry this secret or this burden, 
the, the harder it is to make the first step. So what we do is we have a series of exercises uh, uh, using scripture readings, and they are all more or less talking about the tremendous, unimaginable love of God. Uh, and because we know that, we can name first what uh, our experience is without shoulds, without woulds. At some point I just say, I did this. That's it. That's the naming part. Mm-hmm. But after that, immediate, and, and we can do that only when we know that we are rooted in the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And so we do this journeying together. Uh, so through naming, after that, the women and the men are encouraged to name their children, to write a letter if they want to to their children. We have a memorial service. And so on Sunday morning, what we do is we have a Eucharistic service together. Mm-hmm. Again, just to root ourselves in, we started with God and we end in God. And just to know that although we are leaving very soon after a meal, again, the best way to, to say goodbye uh, through a meal, mm-hmm. uh, to know again that when we came here, God was with us. And as we are leaving, God is with us again. And then certainly the team, uh, we have some very practical things as well. Um, and that's very important to tell the women how, we can con- how they can yes. connect with us or how they can connect to resources in their communities and some other very practical things. Right. Sounds like so it's this a, is it. S- sorry, sounds like it's a very powerful weekend. Um, it, is, it, is. So, it is. So there's a retreat coming up, as I said, May 17th. Um, people can find out more at stmaryrefuge.org and I'm going to mention that uh, website we'll put it on our on our on our site as well so people can uh, can find it easily. Thank you so much both of you for for sharing with us uh, today uh, this important ministry that you're running. Thank you. Thank Pedro. you Pedro. Ma- Blessings Mar- to you. <laughs> Maria Karajovanova and Mary Morocco run a Project Rachel program at St. Mary of Egypt Refuge here in Ontario. You can learn more about their programs at St stmarysrefuge.org You can also learn about Project Rachel by typing it into your search engine or by going to the National Office of Post-Abortion Reconciliation and Healing at noparh.org Here now is Curtis Stephen with Pastors of the Lord from his new album Amid Passing Things Lord now your servant May go in peace your salvation mine eyes have seen I will walk near running streams in the pastures of the Lord the day is gone Work is done Many battles I've lost and won I shall rest And find welcome In the pastures of the Lay me down in burning fields 
valleys with golden hills there to find your face revealed in the pastures and the Curtis Stephen with Pastures of the Lord from his album Amid Passing Things, published by Spirit and Song. It's amazing that we've gone through four years of this radio program and we have not yet featured Curtis Stephen, someone who's provided the church with a wealth of music to serve a variety of worship and liturgical needs. Curtis is a lifelong musician. He has four albums, three with Spirit and Song. He's an accomplished worship and workshop leader. He's a composer, and it's also music director for his home parish, so he's a busy guy. Now, if you've ever been to the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, or to the LA Religious Education Congress, you probably have heard um, the theme songs that he's composed, and he's also the composer of one of the most popular new mass settings, Mass of Renewal, that you might be singing in your own parish. There you go. So now you know who composed it. So I'm very happy to welcome Curtis Stephen to the Salt and Light Hour. Curtis, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Good to be here. <laughs> so I can see how you can aspire to be a musician. You know, when, when I grow up, I want to be a musician. How, how do you end up being a liturgical composer? Well, it's just like a lot of things in the church. You raise your hand, say, I need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and somebody puts, you, puts a guitar in your hand and pulls you up front, you know. Really, uh, I mean, it kind of actually is sort of like that, but my uh, 
uh, I come from a big Catholic family, ten kids. Wow. And uh, as the eighth of the that uh, the seventh son, you know. Yeah. Uh, of um, I was my mom made us all take piano lessons. Yeah. So I started piano lessons when I was five, and so it gave me a little bit of a musical background when I was in first grade. The nun says, Sister Regina says, um, "Can you lead us? You you sing loud." We, because you sing good, you know. She's a little <laughs> Polish nun, you know, and she's about four feet tall. Yeah, um, she's awesome. And uh, so she basically told us, you know, told me, encouraged me to sing. And, right. and so once in a while, we would do a little song at the beginning, where it was America or America the Beautiful or something at the yeah. beginning of our school day, our Catholic school day. And yeah. And so um, she said, hey, she couldn't sing at all. I mean, she couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, she asked me to to help her. And so, I mean, in first grade. So it's really just, you know, someone seeking me and seeing the, the, the gift that I had, you know, for music and just using it for whatever it was needed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, along when I was in about fifth grade, um, it, I, the, the priest that was there um, invited me to, they were changing uh, some of the music styles and stuff like that. They were, uh, they were doing a guitar, uh, using guitars and yeah. stuff like that for, for the school mass. Mm-hmm. And so... Basically, he invited me to be part of that and found out that I could play a little music. And then before you know it, I'm at the 8 o'clock mass singing because he hmm. asked my mom if it was okay. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I'll do whatever, you know, i got to go to mass anyway. Yeah, so, you might as well make it fun. So it's like, and then I basically did that every week all the way through high school and in college. And it's really been what's kept me involved in faith, but yeah. also um, charged up about it, you know, and now I'm trying to give back to the church that way yeah so. you know i i tell a very similar story because i don't think i would have been involved in church had i not been playing music so you never went through a period i mean you're the the eighth child of this huge family you never felt like you were rebelling or like you doubted the faith or you oh didn't i wouldn't go- say that i mean i would say there was different times that there was rebellion and you know especially as you go off to college, I mean, a lot of the formation we had, I mean, it was great, you know, growing up, but I went to a public high school, and, uh-huh. and you start seeing the world different, and, you know, every per- every human being, I'm sure, goes through that, where they start questioning things, and, like, they want to experience it themselves. And right. In college, you know, the music was, I, I lived with the team that was doing the music, and even though I would try to go out and do all the fun things that everybody else was doing and I was a musician I mean I was majoring in music and right. you know gosh I was surrounded by every kind of temptation I'm sure Yes. Um, and you know so you kind of look and see do I fit this and you're really looking for identity and um, my last year of college I was working on my master's degree and um, uh, the, all the guys that I had been living with they moved on because they were graduating and they're going back home or whatever and mm-hmm. uh, my friend Dennis who's in Ohio, so maybe he might be listening to this, um, right. that uh, they're, uh, they moved on, and I somebody had to take up leadership, mm-hmm. and in the vacuum of leadership, I raised my hand, said I have to go to the bathroom, and somebody yeah. said, hey, you play guitar, right, you know, yeah. um, so you're in charge, you know, I was the only one left out of that group, so yeah. I yeah. had seniority, and I took charge, and, and uh, then somebody called me and said, hey, would you like to play another mass in the evening, and on guitar, and I didn't know how to play guitar, but I had a music degree, and right. now I'm so, in the job that I'm at. It's one of the largest parishes in the U.S. So. Yeah, yeah, and you're playing guitar. So that was, what, like 20 years ago, and now you're an accomplished liturgical composer. 
um, not just liturgical because they also write other other types of music, but a lot of it is music that can be used in liturgy or for worship. Um, with four albums, this latest album, Amid Passing Things, it, what would you say is different about about this music? I mean, I know it includes massive renewal, so that's unique. Um, right. But you, well, I think a lot of this, you know, when the new Roman Missal came out, um, we were. I, I've done a lot of the the, the first previous three albums are you know very um that have a mixture of songs that are story songs songs for spirituality and, and that but they're not really geared specifically towards lit- liturgy on all of them yeah it's a mix and some of our crossover we really wanted to try to make a um especially with the roman missal like looking at advent like when you look through the advent it says amid passing things and many of the mm. different prayers and it's beautiful and it was just kind of a new phrase i just loved it and i think it, the one thing that stays in, is our liturgy, and uh, to tr- really contribute to the faithful uh, coming sun- Sunday after Sunday who may not otherwise listen to music just for enrichment in itself. Yeah. Um, to hear these, to contribute to the the, the repertoire of our our Sunday worship, mm-hmm. you know, was important. So, well, that was the, the the emphasis for this, you know, the 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 spirit of this co- collection of songs. Right. Is to really have stuff that people can use for their their masses, you know, yeah. in its variety of uses, you know. Yeah, so no, it, it's that was the kind of the difference in this one between the others. Right. No, it's good stuff. Now, the other thing that's also new for you is that you have a songbook. This is not your first songbook, but it's the first. It's sort of the collection of the eighteen most favorite Curtis Stephen tunes. Well, <laughs> it actually is my first. Oh, is it? Say. Yeah, yeah. It's the first one that has my own picture on it, you know. It's like, you it's, it's, it's you, know? you look like, great. I don't think I've ever had it. It looks like you're in Texas. I am. I am in Texas, <laughs> in Frisco, Texas, where I live. So. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but, so, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it's not my first published song. It's not the first time I've seen my stuff in print. But, yeah. yes, for a collection of stuff that actually has my name on it and 18 songs of worship and uh, songs for prayer and worship, and some of them are a little bit more liturgical than others, uh, but at the same time, they're they're there for people to learn and and use. Actually, it, it's 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 really. I'm going to just put a plug in here because we already heard "Ready the Way," and that's in the book, mm-hmm. and we already heard "Pastors of the Lord," and that's in the book. Yep. And at the end of the show, I'm going to play "Miracle of Grace," which I think is a great communion song. It's also in the book. So if people like the music that they heard today, they can just get the book and they can sing it at church or sing it wherever people sing, I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so you can get them just to learn them. Hey, you know, some of those songs are easy, so easy to play. Yeah. Basically, you can use them as a, you know, we use a lot of these books, you know, guitar to teach guitar, you know. Yes. To teach somebody a song that they want to learn, you know, here's a song that you can learn. It's four chords, you know, it's easy. You know? Yeah, so no, it's... it's that, a lot of these songs, that's what we're trying to do is, you know kind of hit on a variety of levels. So w- looking back at, at, can I say, looking back at your career, um, not that you're Strange old or anything. Strange to hear that, you know, <laughs> thinking, I still think of myself as that young punk that came you're out you're of not that old. college. But, but, yeah. What would you say, I mean, you have a ministry, so what would you say is is your mission or your hope for your ministry? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I've been really digging into this a, a lot deeper and I would say when I first started there was a piece of that that always said you know I, I want to do great things for God and mm-hmm. a lot and a lot of people that says I want to stand in front of a lot of people and proclaim this news you know pro- proclaim good news for me I think 
what fortunately along the way a friend of mine said to me don't pursue a career pursue Jesus hmm. and that sets you on the path and I've always thought about that and recently I read a great book and I just want everybody in the world to read it because I think she's hitting on some really cool things it's called Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Weddell mm-hmm. our Sunday visitor has that um, anyway um, plugging somebody else's book yeah, but the point is that I really feel like my ministry is really to help form intentional disciples people that are charged up by the Holy Spirit with a relationship with Christ um, to be able to uh, at one level be filled up as a reservoir to spill out God's graces on everyone else, and on the other hand, to, to serve them in a way that brings them into a leadership and a newer relationship with Christ, hmm. that brings them and empowers them as a leader to become, uh, be, to, that, that trains other people in the ways of the faith, you know? Yeah. Because it's good news. This is a, we want to transmit the faith and pass it on to everyone in the world. So mm-hmm. to go out and make disciples of all nations is ultimately what we're yeah. what we're all about. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to do more of, even more intentionally. Yeah, yeah you know? no, that's great. And I love the intentional because I, I use the word intentional. Um, you can replace it with missional. It's mm-hmm. your mission. It's your intention is what's you, what, what you're all about. And that's what we are all about. You're so, you're so right. That's what we are all about. Go out, word. go to the ends of the earth, and you know, and that's you know Matthew twenty-eight. I mean, that's got to be my favorite mm-hmm. um, gospel passage. Um, we got to leave it there, my friend. But um, thank you for speaking with us and for sharing a little bit of your music with us today. And uh, I'm sure our our paths will cross again. Uh, I hope so soon. You can learn more about Curtis Stephen and about these uh, two new products: his songbook, Songs for Prayer and Worship and his new album, Amid Passing Things, at spiritandsong.com. And here now is Curtis with a, as I said, I think it's a perfect communion song from his new album, Amid Passing Things, Miracle of Grace. Miracle of grace, mystery of faith, calling us to venture to the deep. Listening to Curtis Stephen with Miracle of Grace from his album Amid Passing Things, published by Spirit and Song. And that will bring us to the end of the program this week. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. Look for Salt and Light Radio on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. That's the number one, slradio1. And look for me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and also follow me on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Salt and Light Radio is a ministry of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. You can learn all about us at saltandlighttv.org and learn how, for less than the cost of a coffee a day, 
you can be part of supporting our ministry by joining our Guardians program. And thank you for keeping us in your prayers and for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. We rely on your donations to do our work, and so your support is deeply appreciated. Thank you, and God bless you. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Your very body and your blood